Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their own boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD. All right, guys, this is Johnny FD, and welcome to a very special podcast episode. This one is going to be in the Himalayas on the Annapurna circuit, and today was day one of a 19-day journey. And every day I'm going to be updating you with what we did, how we felt, and people I met along the way. Peter Whiplinger, and I'm from Cape Town, South Africa. And we've been on a bus for how many hours? Eight, nine hours, and which was a great experience to see Nepal from a bus and um, see a bit of the culture. But I'm looking forward to trekking tomorrow to be on my feet rather than in a bus. Yeah, I, I also felt that the bus ride was a little bit long, but uh, Sanjay, who's a guide for a different group, uh, for her group actually, says that normally the bus ride's not this long. Hi, I'm from Nepal. Namaste, and uh, my name is Sanjay Sanjay Adikari. And really long way today because of lots of people, local people. That's why we otherwise we will arrive there earlier. Anyway, tomorrow weather is going to be good. Hopefully, we will start nicely. The Annapurna circuit is very nice trial in Nepal. So, guys, everybody's going to enjoy it. So, I noticed that we stopped briefly in this little town called Basishar, which is where a lot of people got off to start the trek. So, so Sanjay just said that it used to be that was the f- closest place you can you can start. But because they built a road recently, a lot of people now are starting in Boog. Bugogi, I can't say the name. <laughs> Bubogi, where are we? Bubule. Bugogi is a Korean uh, meat dish, which is actually really nice. But unfortunately, there's going to be no meat for the next 19 days because they're in the mountains and it's going to be vegetarian only. Um, which for a South African, that's going to be. This is my first vegetarian trip and it's going to be gruesome. <laughs> so, for those who know, in South Africa, the national dish is pretty much steak, and it's really nice. So this is going to be, this is going to be different. Hello, I'm Charlie from Cape Town, South Africa, and the reason for joining Annapurna, I think one good reason is to get away from the city for a long time. So it's about three weeks, which is very really nice. Switch off the phone, and while that being switched off, you're hiking in a mountain, you're walking, and you're enjoying nature, chilling basically. Yeah. Uh, it's Pietro again, <laughs> and I, I'd say ditto to Charlie's, but also there's a bit of a challenge involved, and um, I haven't hiked this high altitude before, so I'm looking forward to see um, uh, yeah, what, what the fuss is all about, <laughs> how we can cope with the, the change in physiology in your body. Hi, I'm Chloe from England, um, and I think I have very similar reasons to the other guys. Um, it's nice to have a bit of a physical challenge and to push your body to its limits. And I guess the reason why I decided to come, besides having uh, a few months between burning season in Chiang Mai and going on the nomad cruise in Spain, I've heard a lot of good things about Nepal. And the last time I've climbed any real kind of mountain was Mount Kinabalu in Borneo. And that was probably close to five years ago now. And that was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. And I learned a lot on the mountain about myself and about, you know, what's important in life. And hopefully these kind of next 20 days, some more life lessons will come as well as a, uh, a good physical challenge. All right, so we just got done with 
the first actual day of trekking. Today's day two. We arrived in Jagat after a intense hike. So we started around 8 a.m. and we arrived at 3.30, which is seven and a half hours of trekking. And it was... um. It was an experience. It was really beautiful. It was actually a lot more beautiful than I expected. I saw photos of the Annapurna Circuit and Nepal, and I just thought of it as kind of a barren, you know, snow-covered mountain, which is beautiful. And we got to see that right in the beginning. So I highly recommend to start the walk in either Bule Bule or in Behesisar because you can see the mountain ahead of you. And it's such a beautiful view that actually goes away as you kind of get deeper into it. We saw a few people take a Jeep to skip the first one or two days of of trekking. And I actually don't recommend that because it was actually so beautiful that first half. The second half of today's trek was on some roads and it wasn't as nice. But, you know, in reality, we only had maybe one or two Jeeps pass us. So it wasn't like you're walking on a road that you imagine back home. It's a dirt road that normal cars cannot drive on, buses cannot drive on, only real like four by fours can drive on. And I'm telling you, the the water uh, and the river running below us and the waterfalls in front of us and the forest with the views, the mountains, it, it was really something. Hello, I'm um, Janina. I'm from Germany. And today we walked from Bulle Bulle to Jagat. But I'm a little disappointed from myself because I need <laughs> I need a carrier. Yeah, but then um, it's it's better for me to walk without ten kilos or something. Yeah, it's easier to go. So Yanina definitely should not be disappointed because I had a porter from day one and it was a struggle. I think she had more than ten kilos in her bag. It it was pretty heavy. It was probably ten. Yes. 10 plus kilos. We were lucky that we found a porter at one of the the villages uh, about an hour or two from the start. So if any of you start struggling, know that instead of just turning back, you can actually pick up a a porter on the way. And it wasn't any more expensive than if you got one from Kathmandu. If anything, maybe it's actually kind of nice because you're picking up a, like a villager that actually lives in the mountains. But what was really funny is he was kind of just hanging out with his friends. And when Yanina hired him, he was like, oh, great. Let me just, you know, run home, kiss my wife goodbye and tell her I'll see her in two weeks. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> All right. So we're going to get some more Dalbot for dinner. And tomorrow's going to be another long day of hiking. So stay tuned. All right, so today, day three, has been a very, very long day. And it's, honestly, it's, it's been a little bit insane. Um, we woke up and we hiked for about eight hours. And it's, I honestly, I, I regret it now because what I've learned is we can't just rely on other people. Uh, it At the end of the day, it comes down to us to plan our own trips. If we rely on... Um, you know, guides or tour agencies or even other people, we're going to end up screwing ourselves. And everybody travels differently. You know, everybody's on a different schedule and wants to see different things. And I made the mistake of kind of leaving it in the hands of others um, for too long. And I wish I could go back in time and redo these last three days and have different stopping points because I have a lot of time, and I think that's a, a big benefit of being location independent, being a digital nomad, is we can 
travel slowly. And just as much as I hate it when people come to Thailand and they try to pack in the whole country in 10 days and it's just stressful, I don't want to do that here in Nepal either, on the Annapurna circuit or really anywhere else. And I think what happens is most people, they have a very short vacation, so they try to do the entire trek as quickly as possible. And part of that is just cramming things in. And I realized that people weren't even taking photos, people weren't stopping to play with the animals, or even really just enjoying the view. And a good example of that is today we were walking and the porter, the porter guide insisted on walking on the road because it was shorter. And I said, well, I didn't come to Nepal to walk on a road. <laughs> I came to Nepal to see, you know, the beauty, the nature. So after a bit of, you know, like back and forth, it was almost kind of, I had to explain to him why I would rather take the high pass and walk longer and further. You know, he finally got it, or at least he gave in and he let us walk on the high pass and it was so beautiful. It was like there were waterfalls, there, there it was a forest. And it was so different than walking on the Jeep road where it's dusty and, you know, it's still beautiful. Uh, and I think this is why most people don't even realize what they're missing is if they, if you go with the standard tour and you, you, or if you go with the standard Lonely Planet route and you kind of just follow other people, you'll still enjoy most of the nature and most of the beauty. And that's why very few people go back uh, home thinking, oh, you know, I sh- should have done it differently because a lot of people just don't know. But after really talking to people and reading and researching, I realized there are so many other ways to, to do the Annapurna circuit. And part of it is to always take the high passes, always take the side roads. And as you're listening to this in 2018, uh, it's, it's already kind of built up the, these Jeep roads, which are these terrible ideas. And it's, you know, the government in Nepal thinks that if they build roads going all the way up the Annapurna circuit, it can attract more tourists because instead of taking 15 to 20 days to do the circuit, people can just drive most of the way and just do the high pass, which is kind of like the, the you know, climax, the, the, the pinnacle of it and say they've done it. And hopefully that'll drive more tourism and, you know, it become more popular. But what they don't realize is the, the reason why we do this trek is because there are no roads and that you have to walk and you have to go through these little villages and it takes a long time. And unfortunately, maybe they're right. Maybe they will make more money, at least some of the villages, the ones that, you know, close to the top, but it's not going to be a nice experience for, for everyone. It's, it's just like, you know, any country or any uh, monument or kind of any, you know, real famous place that just gets overrun by tourism. And sure, I guess, you know, places like Phuket, in Thailand or places like Barcelona, maybe they end up making more money because of it, but it really ruins the whole experience. The only good news is it's still beautiful here in Nepal now and on the Annapurna circuit because there are these side trails, these side roads. So definitely take advantage of that. And don't be afraid to let who you're with, you know, whether it's a friend or your porter or your guide or your group, know exactly what you want and you know, how flexible you are because this is your trip and this could be a trip of a lifetime. So you really want to make sure it ends up, you know, tailoring to you. And that's why I'm sitting here alone at a guest house tonight, even though there was a group of eight people I could have walked with uh, or could have, you know, kept joining um, some of the people I met the other night. 
And it's because we're on different schedules and a lot of people are rushing the trip. And I realized that's not for me. So I've decided to, to hang back in this little village, have a night to myself to, to hang out and relax. And tomorrow's going to be a new day. And starting now, it's going to be on my schedule. I'm going to meet people, uh, as I, as I go. But if they're on a different kind of path, you know, they're, they need to finish it by X amount of days so they can get back to the job. I'm not going to rush myself. I'm not going to rush this, this experience just, just to keep up. All right. So I'm going to head to bed because it's been a really long day and I potentially have a really long day tomorrow as well. Uh, we're above 2000 meters now, so it's starting to get cold as well. So it's wish me luck. What's up? My name is Grace from Wisconsin. Um, we met Johnny today, and he is struggling a little bit. <laughs> He's really excited to get some warm doll bot, but his body's slowly shutting down from the cold right now. <laughs> and me and my friend are kind of used to the cold because we're from Wisconsin, but it's sad to see Johnny like this. <laughs> I think the ma- mistake I made besides spending the last five years in Thailand is taking a cold shower. So we stayed at a really nice guest house called Royal Garden in Chame. It's the only nice guest house you'll probably see on the entire Annapurna circuit. And it had like an in-suite bathroom. So I was really excited that I had my own shower. Unfortunately, it was a cold shower and their hot kind of solar shower was, was outdoors. So my decision was, do I go outside and take like a lukewarm shower, but then be in the cold? Or do I take a quick shower indoors and, you know, be able to just kind of quickly change into my thermals and get under the blanket? I thought it'd be a good idea. Turns out it was terrible. Yeah, poor Johnny. I, it's really a bummer. I don't know. I feel pretty toasty right now. (laughs) So she's from Wisconsin, which is pretty cold, like normally. And we also have another Wisconsin friend that, He's just like in this light down jacket and he's fine. And I'm here just like literally thinking I'm going to, I'm going to keel over, but I think after some warm daub out, it might be okay. So Grace, what did you think of, uh, today besides the, uh, Johnny complaining about the cold? Um, I thought today was amazing. We saw it's basically the first day to see some like real ass mountains just surrounding these villages. It was nuts and. Just like small mountain villages with very sweet locals. It was great. Yeah, and we got to meet you, which was great too. <laughs> yeah, so I'm excited. Uh, we're going to play some cards, sit around the fire, and tomorrow's going to be another day. So it turns out that I actually am really sick. I just had the hardest walk of my life, and it was just a short, you know, couple mile track nothing compared to the days it was before it was just a literally a walk in the park to get to the next stopover which is a apple uh, apple juice factory but as soon as i got there i'm so exhausted and so cold and shivering and i just can't get my body heat up that i end up just laying on the floor just trying to soak in some sun and i look like a like a reptile just laying there and it's been about four hours and my body's finally started to to warm up. Um, let's see how this goes, because I, I really don't feel very well. 
Hi guys, um, this is Chloe again. I don't know if you remember, but I spoke a bit in bubbly. Um, I'm really sad to tell you that um, Johnny's actually passed away. Uh, the altitude just really got to him. Um, it's really, really difficult conditions up there, and a lot of people didn't make it. <laughs> oh my god, I can't believe you just said that on air. But um, no, I'm I'm actually alive, and we are here in Polkara at the end of the trek, sipping on some chai tea uh but chloe was right um i didn't make it in a literal sense of of completing the track but i'm still alive and actually have my voice back now so really happy to um to be able to talk to you guys again and it was just so random that i happened to bump into chloe here at this coffee shop in pokhara uh where, where did i leave you last and what what happened at, like what, what was the rest of your trek like I think I think we last ran into you. Was it at Chame that we last ran into you? Um, so I was having a bit of a nightmare because my walking boots fell apart on day one, but I managed to replace them with some fake ones at very inflated place on the mountain, which was great. So I got some new walking boots. Um, we made it across the pass and did it. Um, the the f- few days before the top of the pass were really tough because it was just so cold. Um, I was just telling Johnny I didn't have a shower for five days because it was too cold to shower. You just didn't want to get wet. Um, and there was just a really tense atmosphere at the high camp. So that was about 5,000 meters before we crossed over the Thoronga Pass. Everyone was so nervous and tense and hoping they didn't get altitude sickness. Um, but we made it um, and then walked downhill for like three days and then came up again to Poon Hill um, and had an amazing time. And I'm so happy we did make it. Um, but a lot of people didn't because the altitude just gets to you. Um, and it's, it's a bit of luck as well. I think it's it's really like yeah a bit of chance whether you get it or not um and there's certain things you can do but if you're gonna get it you're gonna get it um but yeah we had an amazing time and i'm glad to be in pokora because it's really nice here <laughs> it almost sounds perfect that it's it sounds like it's raining and we're sitting on this balcony overlooking the lake but it's actually just somebody pouring water off the roof <laughs> it, there couldn't have been a, a more perfect uh sound effect as you're telling the story but Pokhara is actually this really nice, idyllic little town. It, it kind of reminds me of a, a quieter Chiang Mai if it was on a lake and this was 20 years ago. We're at this coffee shop that's really beautiful, actually. And there's these really nice restaurants kind of scattered in in between, you know, really kind of old Indian-type restaurants and old guest houses. And it's really cheap to stay here. So I think we're both going to just do nothing for the next five days. And I'm glad that I bumped into Chloe because I really wanted to finish up this episode to to get it out to you guys. But it was just kind of random that I, I just left it literally like I felt like I was dying and I had no voice. So I couldn't even talk and I didn't actually get my voice back until just like a day or two ago. So it's been, you know, over a week since I lost my voice and I've kind of just been wandering through this, you know, down, back down the mountain because it ended up taking me 12 days anyways to do the hike because I had to walk back down. I think a lot of people, they use the excuse of uh, when they get sick just to take a Jeep all the way back down. But for whatever reason, I decided, hey, you know, just because I can't go up anymore doesn't mean I can't enjoy this hike still. So I spent the next six days just kind of slowly walking, you know, back the way I came. And even though it was different, you know, than doing the entire Annapurna circuit, it was still nice being 
you know, out in nature, going through little villages for, for 12 days. Curious, Chloe, why did you actually decide to do the trek in the first place? And what are your feelings about it now that it's done? Um, so I decided to do the trek because I'm on, so I'm on a five month backpacking trip. And one thing that I find difficult about backpacking is, um, staying fit. I always end up in hostels drinking loads of beer, but then you can't really like go out on walks on your own or runs or anything. So I thought it would be a really good way to incorporate some exercise into my traveling. Um, and then I picked the Annapurna circuit because of the views. And I liked the fact that it was a circuit rather than going back on yourself like you have to for the Everest base camp. How do I feel about it now? Oh, I'm so glad I did it. Um, yeah, I'm really like, elated. I was really lucky. I was traveling with two South Africans who you met earlier who were really good fun and a bit of a laugh. Um, and we had two porters and a guide. Um, and just had a really good time. And I was actually really glad that we had porters because I think if I was carrying my big bag, that would have crossed over into unenjoyable for me. Um, but it was just like the right amount of challenge, carrying your day pack and doing it at your own pace. Um, and I'd, I'd really recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm also really happy that I had gotten a porter because even though I think ideally I would have just had ultra light gear if i had like a ultralight sleeping bag and ultralight down jacket and ultralight like merino wool clothing i probably would have preferred that but the fact that i just had normal gear and you know especially like kind of knock off the rental gear from Kathmandu, and i had just normal clothes and i had my laptop on me i'm really glad i got a porter because i saw people just struggling with these big bags and it just it wasn't like a pleasant experience for them and actually so Ironically, at the same time that we did the Annapurna Circuit Trek, my friends Tom and Anna, who were on episode 190 of the Travel Like Boss podcast, they did the Everest Base Camp Trek, and they just finished yesterday, and talking with them, they uh, had a very kind of similar experience where it was tough, it was it was cold, and uh, she actually almost didn't make it as well. I was She was three hours from the top. Uh, to getting to base camp and she got she started getting ams started getting altitude sickness and she wanted just to kind of push through and, and get to the top but luckily her boyfriend tom was more rational and i think the problem is when you're sick you don't really think about logic you start thinking okay i just need to get to the next town and that way that can where i can rest but in reality what you're supposed to do is go back down you know where you came from to rest and it's just hard to do while you're there without someone kind of um, in your group or, or, or pushing you. Um, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Like the only the only medical cure for altitude sickness is to go lower. So you have to, yeah, you have to do that. Um, and it was really sad because yeah, we met we met lots of people at high camp who were so close, so close to passing, but they were just too ill to continue and had to go back down, um, and didn't have the strength to try again. Um, which is really sad, but it, it just kind of happens. And like, I think it's really good that Johnny, like, you know, you still, still really enjoy it. You still got great views. You're still doing a really nice hike. Um, and it's not, yeah, it's, it, making it to the top isn't really what it's all about. Just getting out into the countryside and trekking with some amazing views and makes it all worth it. Yeah. I think for me, if it wasn't actually the, the difficulty of the trek that prevented me from wanting to do this again, because, I'm actually sitting here thinking I have a almost a month left in Nepal and now that I'm feeling better again maybe I should just go back and finish the trek and the actual trekking itself I actually really enjoyed and it wasn't 
I, w- I would say it's ch- physically challenging, but it wasn't, you know, um, it wasn't even uncomfortable. It was just like a nice, long, sturdy day of hard work, you know, but it was really enjoyable. And because I had trained so much in Chiang Mai, physically I was okay, but it was the cold. And it was the cold that I could not imagine putting myself through again. It just, like, you know, growing up in San Francisco, already at, you know, plus 13, which was like 50 degrees Fahrenheit, I, I just couldn't handle it. I hated it. And that's why I moved to Thailand. And being on that mountain, being in those tea houses at night, you know, cuddled up in a, in a sleeping bag, I just... That was kind of the dread of my life, and that's something I never want to go through again. Yeah, yeah, the cold was really difficult. Um, we really struggled when we were at the top, um, and we just ended up going to bed like at seven, eight, eight, 8 p.m. because it was just too cold to do anything else. You just wanted to get into your sleeping bag and sit there. And I remember, um, remember in Manang, from Manang onwards, I would be wearing like two pairs of leggings and then my really thick soft shell trousers. And then about six layers on top and it's still, still cold. Cause once you stop walking, there's just nothing to keep you warm. And none of the tea houses have heating. Some of them have kind of stoves in the restaurant. Um, but unless you're kind of sitting directly in front of them, it's not going to warm you up. So yeah, that is, that was probably the most difficult thing. The cold and the altitude. It, yeah, you're right. It wasn't really about fitness necessarily because it's not a full trekking day anyway. We were doing like half half 7am until 2pm most days and you can go at your own pace as well so if you're finding it tough you can just slow down so it's yeah it's the cold and the altitude which are two most difficult things um yeah and I wouldn't let I wouldn't let the fitness aspect I wouldn't want that to put anyone off because you yeah you can definitely just do it do it at your own pace yeah so I think I had I don't I don't know if I could have prepared any differently but in my mind in the two months before the trek I was focused so much on the fitness aspect where I would just be hiking as much as I could. I would carry, you know, six um, big bottles of water in my my pack just to kind of get my fitness up. And I didn't spend enough time, I guess, mentally preparing for the cold or if, you know, and it was actually, it was hard to even buy things because I was in Thailand at the time. So the idea of buying like merino wool things just, it just, it, it just doesn't exist. And if I was going to do it all over again, I would definitely invest in some warmer clothing. But, you know, sitting here in Bokra, I'm, I'm right under the sun. There's a beautiful lake in front of us. You can see the mountains. And actually, on a clear day, you can actually see the snow-capped mountains as well. But what's really nice is because it's you know, pretty low altitude, it's warm and it's nice. And, you know, it's... Uh, I think this is where, where I belong. I, I really don't think I'm, I'm just, I'm not built for, for the mountains or the snow. I don't even know if I can go to England. <laughs> yeah, England gets cold, but not like minus 15 cold, like minus, minus one or two. <laughs> um, yeah, Parker is really nice. Um, I only got here yesterday, but I can see myself spending five, six days here just chilling. There's so many nice cafes and stuff. Um, yeah. It's it's a really nice place to be actually. Yeah. I think it's I think it's a bit nice in Kathmandu. It's just more chilled. It's really it's really wide sidewalks. Um less pollution. Yeah, really nice. Yeah, Pokhara is this weird place where I can see it becoming a really popular place if there was more people. Cuz on paper it has everything. It has nice restaurants, it has nice coffee shops, it has a beautiful view. It's um the air is you know, pretty clean, but there's just not that many people here. And I don't know if there there ever will be because 
Nepal is kind of just this one of these random places that's so off the beaten path. And I think that's why people like it is because it only attracts a very certain type of traveler. Uh, it really only attracts people that want to put themselves through, you know, these torturous long hikes. And even though it's beautiful, it's really not a, it's not a place, you know, just to fill up your Instagram. You know, it's, it's much easier to do that in Bali or somewhere, you know, easier and warmer. Um, so I think for the rest of time, Nepal is going to be one of those places where it'll always be a dream destination for some people. But I think for the mass majority, it's it's going to be a skip. Um, and I don't know if I'll come back. Yeah, it's uh, there's nothing wrong with the place, and I'm really glad I came. But I don't. I, aside from you know wanting to do another trek, if I ever go insane and want to do the Everspace Camp, um, you know, then for sure I'll come back. But I think for most people, it's kind of one of those places where it's uh, it's like. Um, I don't know. It, it, for me, it's it's the closest to India I'll probably ever want to go. And I'm glad it exists because I get a taste of that same culture, the same food, and the same kind of history, but without the, the madness. And, and you've been to India, right? What was that like? Yeah, I've just got back from India. I actually had a great time in India. So I didn't do it on my own because I'm a 22-year-old female. So I went with a company called G Adventures. Um, and did a tour with them and we did Rajasthan out to Varanasi and I loved it we had an amazing time we saw loads of old Maharaja's forts um, we saw the Hindu cremations in Varanasi lots of countryside in between we rode camels I loved it had a great time and but I'm really glad I did a tour I wouldn't have done it on my own and it's so it's very intense you do get a harass a lot in the streets. You have to be very conservative in what you wear. Like everything you hear about India in that respect is fine. But um, none of us have any big problems. And we had a really great guide. And I think that's why. And we're a really, really good group of 11 people as well. And that always makes a difference because it's a bit potluck when you're put in a, in a tour group like that. But we all got on. So I loved it. And I really would recommend it. But not, not necessarily on your own. Unless you're really experienced backpacker and, and know the culture inside out. Yeah, I loved it. Um, I think what you're saying about Nepal is right. I don't think, I don't think you necessarily come backpacking to Nepal if you weren't interested in trekking. Um, I would come again, but I would, I would do it to do another trek, uh, because I think that's the main attraction here. But it's really nice finding these hidden gems like Pokhara that, um, that has, it has a backpacker scene, but it's quite chilled backpacker scene. It's not like a party town. It's just a really nice atmosphere to be in, especially when everyone's like winding down after treks. Yeah, I feel like everyone you meet here is either on their way to go trekking, so they're really excited and they're just, you know, really focused on that and nothing else, or they had just got back from one and they just want to just chill and do nothing, which is exactly where, like, where my heart is right now. Um, and it's weird because on paper, there's a lot of things like yoga, there's like yoga teacher trainings here and classes, but from all the classes I've been to so far, like, it, it's, it sucks. And I felt bad because I really wanted to like it. I, my goal was to come here and just do yoga for a week and just like stretch and unwind from from the trek. But like I would show up and I would literally be the only person in the yoga class, which has never happened anywhere in the world. And then I went to the the most popular one, the one that's by this really you know, famous restaurant called Orca 2 or or 2K2 or something. And it was a beautiful space and you can just – you can tell it's – it's, you know, the most popular for a reason, but the instructor, 
Like it just seemed like he had no idea what he was doing. And I think that even though India is the birthplace of of yoga and Nepal, I guess be, being so close to it, kind of you know takes some of that tradition as well. Modern yoga, the, the yoga that we actually do, besides like the meditation or um, I don't know, maybe some of the kind of more traditional methods, but like the actual yoga, what we think about, that was actually invented in the Western world. They said that was invented either in like the US or Sweden or somewhere. And actual like yoga that they do in India, like is, is very, very used to be very different. I'm, I'm sure now it's um, becoming a bit more mainstream just because so many people come to places like the, here to get back to the roots and do the teacher training. But it's almost kind of like you don't see Chinese people doing Kung Fu anymore. <laughs> I've actually, I had a bit of a different experience. Well, I've only been to one year class in Nepal, but I went to one in Tamil. I went to the, the Mandala Center. Is that the one you went to? No. Oh, well, that's kind of on that arcade where all two cares as well. I went to this Mandala one in Tamil um, and did a 90 minute Hatha class and I loved it. I actually loved it. It was the best class ever. It was um, a really nice balance between like stretching and strength and it wasn't about meditation and singing bowls because that's kind of not my cup of tea. Um, but I've said that you've said that because I really want to do some yoga here. Um, I'll have to experiment a bit. But I think um, there's so many people trying to get into the market. Like I think there's like yoga centers set up every year and then they fold and then new ones come up. I think it's it's quite hard to find the ones that are genuine and have been there for a long time. Um, but I'm going to ask around and try and get some recommendations from people. Because, um, yeah, um, it's meant to be really good for yoga here. So hopefully I can find some decent classes, yeah. Yeah, I think the thing about yoga is it 100% depends on who happens to be there at the time and who's teaching at the time. It seems like in places like this, every week there's a different instructor because it's kind of rotating and you know people kind of are coming and going all the time. So I think if you happen to be here during the right season and there happens to be a really good instructor and there happens to be, you know, like a good vibe with the, the other students then it's, um, you know, then it would be a really good place. But at least the day that I was there, it was a local Nepalese guy who, like, it, it was just it was just strange because it it almost seemed like he had he had watched some videos on YouTube or something on, on what yoga was. And he kind of just figured that, like, because the class was, it was actually the first time it was mostly guys too, which I've never seen. And it was funny because... All, none of us had yoga clothes. We, were, we all had like our trekking clothes still. So we all walked in with like our trekking boots on and like these long, you know, like the long trekking pants. And we were just sitting there like doing this strange hybrid yoga. And it was just very different than, than anything I've seen before. But I'm going to give it another shot because first I have time. And second, I think I really need it. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm definitely going to try some out here. Yeah, it can be great. When it... Yeah, I think when it's good, it's good, but it can be really bad. I guess for a lot of people see it as a bit of a cash cow because it's like all the tourists want to do the yoga and if you've got one instructor and a, and a big class, that's going to make lots of money on it. Um, yeah, we'll just have to ask around and get some recommendations from people. I want to I do some day hikes here as well, I think. Some day hikes and some yoga. Try and keep active because I felt, I felt so good doing doing like six hours walking a day on the track. It, I really liked it. I find it really, really rewarding. Um, and I'm going to miss that. <laughs> really want to try it, try and stay active here. Yeah, I like it. Actually, so one uh, question that I'm sure a lot of people 
I'm wondering right now is how did you save up to do this kind of long trip and um, like how do you budget for this? How do I save up? So I had four months working full time at home, living at home with my parents. So I've just finished uni. So I moved back home, which was awful. Um, had four months in a very boring job that I hated, but didn't spend a penny because I was kind of, um, I would leave my car without petrol until my mom went to fill it up <laughs> and stuff like that. So saving every penny. And then I also had some savings um, in some bonds, some inheritance money. So a combination of those two things. I was really lucky to have some inheritance money. Um, yeah, budgeting is difficult because I'm going to a, way, a range of countries. So Sri Lanka and Nepal, um, quite cheap. You can, I've been spending about 30 pounds a day. I think that's like 35, $40 maybe. Um, but then I'm going to New Zealand and Fiji. So obviously that's very different on the budget scale. Um, I have a little budget notebook. I am quite anal about it. Like I write down everything. But at the same time, you don't want to stress out too much. You don't want it to stop you from doing things because it does average out over time. So if you you spend a bit of money on something big one day, it probably will be worth it. Like I was thinking about going paragliding and like part of me is like, oh, $100, how am I going to afford that on my budget? But I know it'll even out eventually. So yeah, you just have to keep going with it. Keep yourself accountable. Sometimes I'd have to only have one coffee a day, which sucks. <laughs> um, it's, I think it's one of those things, if you write it down, you keep track clearer if you're not keeping track of it it can spiral out of control definitely but there's little ways uh, everywhere of of doing things cheaply like in in Sri Lanka for lunch I would buy two samosas which would cost me like 50 cent and that was my lunch and little things like that there's ways of doing it yeah I always find it interesting because kind of this podcast is always a mixture of people who are either working online now so they you know they have income coming in or people who have saved enough money doing something to to travel and it's always kind of a, a very different mindset um i feel like for people who have saved up money it's always about trying to stretch it as long as they can while the people who are currently working are like okay let me try to make as much as possible so that i can like live like spend as much as possible as well uh, but the the one biggest kind of travel tip i have for people on a budget is alcohol always doubles your budget and I think a lot of people don't realize that because they think, oh, you know, a beer is only $3 or only $5. So compared to back home, it's pretty good good value. But when your room is only $3 or $5, it, it literally just doubles what you end up spending. And it always drives me crazy when I'm out with people and they, you know, don't have money for, for lunch. Um, yet when we're out at night, they'll have three beers and I'll think like, what are you doing? yeah i definitely have that yeah alcohol is a big problem like i choose my restaurants for dinner on the beer prices like it, it does make it makes such a difference yeah like a beer here is 350 is cheapest and my room is 500 rupees so it's yeah it makes up a big part of the budget i try not drink every night because sometimes i'm like oh i'd rather have two three beers one night and have a really like good fun night and then the next day not drink than have like one beer every night i'd rather do it that way but it's just like personal preference yeah beer and beer is such a big part of backpacking culture as well like it's just so nice to just sit around it's yeah it's hard to do but there are happy hours i've seen a lot of happy hours here i have to take advantage <laughs> yeah i like it so um i'm happy that bumped into chloe because this was a nice way to kind of wrap up this episode i wasn't really sure what would actually happen because my original plan as you guys know was to record a little bit throughout the entire 19 days and it's supposed to be this epic kind of journey of 
you know, starting the track, meeting people on the way, it ended up kind of being all kind of working itself out anyways, because the fact that I bumped into Chloe again here in Pokhara kind of, and the fact that she was on the the episode uh, in the beginning, it just, it really is fate. And I, I don't think I could have planned this any better. And I'm almost kind of glad that I kind of put off finishing this episode until, until today, because my original plan was either to scrap the whole thing or just to do like a very kind of brief uh, outro on my own. But I think everything in life happens for a reason. And I think wherever we end up, the people that we meet, the things that we do, you know, the things that happen to us, both positive and negative, all happen for a reason. And as long as we're alive and as long as we can travel another day, I think it's a, I think it's a good thing. Yeah, it was really nice to bump into you again because um, so I was traveling with two South Africans and we were all wondering what happened to Johnny because um, we bumped into a few times. We're like, what's happened to the chatty American? Um, it's it's nice to see that everyone has a happy ending. Um, <laughs> um, and it's so nice to be here now, just chilling out in this town. I think my top trips for trekking would be Pace Yourself. Um, and especially so when you go over 3,000, that's kind of like the magic number where a lot of people drop after altitude sickness. So there you need to be really careful to not walk too quickly, even if you're feeling fine. Just walk really slowly. Um, also for those on a budget, don't buy bottled water. It just gets so expensive at the mountain and you're going to be drinking three, four liters at least of it a day. So take take water purification tablets or you can get drops, which are really good and take up no space. Uh, make sure you have plenty of warm clothing. I ended up having to buy things up on the mountain in Manang. Um, I also had to buy my boots that I'd already spoken about. And obviously buying it up there is so much more expensive than it would be. So make sure you get everything before in Tamil or Pokhara. And you can bargain there as well. Like it's all fake. The stuff isn't particularly good quality, but you can get it cheaply and throw it away after. So there's no harm as long as it lasts um, for the trek. Yeah, I think that would be it. And relax and enjoy it. <laughs> and actually one thing that I think you had mentioned just before the episode was what happens to your water as you as you get higher in altitude and uh, the temperature drops. Oh, yeah, I was saying earlier. So we had a bit of a sticky situation because, um, say so there were there were me, two South Africans who met in the first episode, I think, two porters and a guide, and we'd all filled up our water to go over the pass, which is the high bit at five thousand four hundred, and we were going for sunrise, so we're leaving at four a.m. Um, I have one plastic water bottle and one metal, and I put boiling water in the metal one. But I was the only one who took hot water. And everyone else's water froze. Um, the two South Africans, they had um, camelbacks and the pipes in the camelbacks froze. So no one had water apart from me. And I had this one litre between six of us. And that was a potentially dangerous situation. So that would probably be the most important tip. Like if you're doing this wrong pass or going anywhere remotely high where it's it's below freezing, take take a metal water bottle so you can put water in the morning. Because <laughs> that's, that's, having water is like the most important thing. Yeah, and what's crazy is, from what I had read, there were tea houses on the way, but it, because it was not technically high season yet, they were closed. So you can't rely on having these, these places open to, to get water, to get food. And honestly, I, I'm, I'm glad I didn't have to go through that because it, it seems like torture. Like it just, it sounds like, it sounds like everything that I don't want. Like my ideal life, when I envision myself, um, you know, like, Lay, I would envision myself laying on a beach with a coconut. I don't envision myself slugging through cold, wearing six layers, and not being able to drink water because they're literally ice blocks. <laughs> so whatever 
your dreams are, whatever your ambitions are, whatever your ideal travel situation is, put it on a dream board, you know, uh, make it happen. If you guys use Pinterest, you <laughs> do that or just, you know, have it in your mind and whether you guys are still saving up to, to be able to travel or you're building your online business so you can have the location dependence and the time to be able to travel, realize that regardless of where you're from, how old you are, or what your ideal travel situation is, there are people out there right now living it and doing it, and it's possible. So I hope you guys all make that happen. Uh, Chloe, um, any parting words for everyone? Um, I would really recommend I don't want anyone to be scared off that people have to turn around and they get really bad altitude sickness and the cold is really bad. Like, I would really encourage anyone who is tempted to, to come trekking in Nepal because I think it's an amazing experience whether you, whether you have to turn around or not. It's still amazing to be up there in the mountains and the views are spectacular. And just like the camaraderie of running into other trekkers and having a nice time on the trekking day. As I mentioned earlier, like, so you, we were typically walking half seven a.m. till two p.m. and then you have lots of time before you go to bed to sit around, play cards, chill. And it's just such a nice atmosphere to be in. Um, and such a nice experience to stay in the tea houses. So I would really strongly encourage everyone to do it. I love it. So I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. If you did, make sure you share it with your friends. Take a screenshot, put it on your Instagram story or on your Facebook or you know, wherever you, you share with friends. And uh, if you really, really like this podcast, go on iTunes, review it, let your friends know. And hopefully we'll see you uh, out here either in Nepal or somewhere else in the world Keep traveling a boss and keep living your dreams. I'll see you in the next episode. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.